When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, director, and I have horrible handwriting. Oh, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and um, kale apologist. Hey. What does that mean? It means that people were shitting on kale, but I like it. Oh, okay. Did you know that it was just used to, like, dressing in buffets for a while and, like, it wasn't actually anything that people were supposed to eat and yeah, then it became it's really disgusting. popular? Yeah, but I like it. You actually like the taste of it? I like it. And I know that it's supposed to, like, it was literally used at, like, Pizza Hut to, like, surround the buffet. And, well, like, now it's I very it. frou-frou. Yeah, it went. You know what? I admire its trajectory from lowbrow to highbrow. Yeah, it really rebranded. Like, I, how do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I want to just go from being like so lowbrow and then rebrand as so highbrow. Kim Kardashian, she did it. Did she? She's at the Met Gala. Yeah. And I'm not at the Met Gala. Not yet. How do you get to go to the Met Gala? I, I don't think I'd want to go. It'd really? Too overwhelming. You don't like costumes. I hate costumes. Someone else will dress you. I don't know. I just like to be comfortable and at home. <laughs> what if the theme of the Met Gala was home comforts? If it was pajamas, pajamas. then I'd go. <laughs> Pajama party themed Met Gala. Or athleisure. Oh my Those God. Those are the only two themes for wouldn't which I would that, show up at the Met Gala. Wouldn't that be such a spin? Everyone like gets ready to do something so intense and then the theme is athleisure. I think that they could ha- add some physical activities to the event. Okay, so the Olympics? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Just Between Us, a podcast about brutal honesty, female friendship, and completely unsolicited advice. So my dog was bleeding out of her ass this morning. Why? I don't know. Why I'm... did you bring it up? What do you mean, why did I bring it up? Because it says on our outline for this a- episode, ask each other what's new. And that's what's new with me. Is Sugar's just... ass is bleeding. I, what, one, I wonder, we talk about our dogs so much on this show that- so it's our so yeah no I'm I have not, nothing to say to that other than duh yeah but also what why what is wrong with sugar all the time I think she's got a very sensitive belly and and, and I think that because the blood is just blood and not yeah. in her stool sure then I think it's just an irritated asshole okay. versus like a, a kidney problem relatable or do you do you, do you feel prepared to have a child because of sugar ah uh, I feel more prepared. Like, do you like, think... Like, I know that, like, this morning I woke up to him, like, shit and vomit all over the house, and I had to clean that up. hmm And I did. Yeah. You were just like, well, this is life. Yeah. As opposed to... Like, so now if, like, a kid... 
Well, but if you woke up to a kid that had blood and shit all over the house, you would be like, we have to go to the hospital. Let me reiterate, there was no blood in the house. It was just shit and vomit. (laughs) And then later outside, blood came out of her asshole. Okay, sorry. But sometimes kids, you just throw up and you don't know why they threw up. Yeah. Sometimes they just do it. That's what I think about sugar. How do you know when you have a kid when it's time to go to the hospital? That's a really good question. For babies, they're not supposed to have fe- high fevers. So oh, you had baby, an answer ready to go. Yeah, if your baby ever has a high fever, then you got to go to the hospital. Okay. And any other kid? Is it just when they start screaming, take me to the hospital? Seems like a, <laughs> that seems like a good bar to go by. I'm just saying, like, if you have a kid, because I was such a, uh, like, hypochondriac that, like, it, it's, and Cheyenne is too, that it's like, I would never, like, I'd be like, are you really sick? Like, well, how I- do you get to the root of it? I, in elementary school, I would go to the nurse all the time, and they'd take my temperature. And it was always in the 99s because I just had a hot ear. Mm-hmm. So then they'd call my mom. My mom would have to come pick me up, and then an hour later, she'd drop me back off. I just had a hot ear. Yeah, I had a hot ear. Wow. Oh, my it's God. It's tough to be a mom. Oh, it is. How do you ever know? I think it's always better to err on the side of caution. Yeah. Unless you don't really like your kid. Then it's like, shut, shut. at a certain point, you're like, stop. Shut up. Shut so, up. As a kid, you only get a few times to say you're really sick. And then after that, you better shut the fuck up. Well, that's the fable of the boy who cried wolf. We've got a great episode for you guys today. We'll be talking to the editor of our two young adult novels, Sarah, Sarah Goodman. Goodman. And later, we'll be talking about our unhealthiest relationships. But first, hit up. International question. Not international, but still cool. Yeah, well, now we, you know, the word international has lost its meaning in this podcast. I know, because now we say international for domestic and true international for international. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's fine. I think we're setting our own rules and words have no meaning. Anyway, Abby, (laughs) Abby says, how do I overcome my aversion to conflict? Uh What advice do you have for being fair and understanding in an argument, even when I'm feeling angry? And so for some more context, she said, sure. I know that it's normal and healthy for couples to have arguments. And I appreciate that my boyfriend has his own opinions and challenges me to think and challenges me to think differently. He is always respectful when we disagree. He likes to debate and he genuinely considers my opinions. But I'm struggling to engage in our arguments in the same healthy way. Whenever I disagree with my boyfriend, I catch myself feeling resentful, taking things personally and fighting the urge to snap at him or say something unkind. I'm afraid I'm self-sabotaging, and I want to show my partner the same open-mindedness he gives me. And mm. then she says, you both seem to be pretty comfortable with confrontation, so I would love some advice on how I could be a better communicator, even when I'm an emotional or upset. Is that a compliment? That's a compliment, right? It's a huge compliment, <laughs> but I don't know if it's true. I don't think I'm very good at confrontation at all. Yeah. I think I am uh, stand in, up for in, ourselves. in work. Yeah. For work, I'm good at confrontation. Yeah. In personal lives, not so much. Sure, yeah. I think we give the impression that we are good at confrontation. Um, I It's hard because with a partner, there's so much emotion involved. And it's so – it can feel like, oh, my God, we're arguing, so we're going to break up. You know what yes. I mean? I think that I've actually become very good at confrontation with my partner. Mm-hmm. And not, and I remain poor at confrontation with family and friends. Yeah, well, why, why is it better with the partner? I think because I had to figure out how to do it Mm. because like you can't just like they're just like in a way a bigger part of your life Mm -hmm. and you just like 
and like you spend more time with them and you just like can't ignore things because you know that it will be like to the detriment of your relationship. Yeah. Whereas I could ignore things in all my other relationships. And I do. And with (laughs) but with family, too, sometimes you have to go. Is it worth it? You know I, I, mean? I say that. That's what I'm saying. I, I rarely think it is worth it for me to get into conflicts. And I, part of that is it's probably wrong because a big thing that I do is I predict how the person's going to respond and how no matter what I say, I will lose. And mm. therefore, I don't even bother to start the argument. I think that for some people, myself included, it is hard to not get emotional when disagreeing with someone. Mm-hmm. And so like that, especially for me, like if I'm talking about politics. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing people like really talk about. And like some people can discuss it and not get heated. And I have a trouble not getting heated. That's different because that's like l- like someone's core values in life. And But I'm sure that's what they're talking about. I'm sure they're talking about core values in life. It's, it's about yeah. his own opinions and challenges me to think differently about stuff. And yeah. he likes to debate. So I... Right. So, like, this is the thing is, like, that kind of personality Mm -hmm. of that type of person Mm -hmm. is difficult for me to be around. Yeah, they can't just be playing devil's advocate just to do it because that's not fun. If they genuinely want to talk to you about it, but if it's just, like, I like to debate because I like to disagree and they just choose whatever side disagrees with you, fuck that. Yeah, but so let's say that maybe we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's not doing that. Sometimes you agree. Sometimes you don't. I think that, like, you have to... Sometimes try to figure out why they are why they have the opinion that they have. Yes, and there's deeper reasons. And that there's deeper reasons. Yes. And therefore, like it can make it can kind of like give you a step back because you can kind of understand, mm-hmm. not necessarily agree with them, mm-hmm. but you can understand how they're getting to the place that they're getting to. And therefore, yeah. you might not be as quick to be like, you fucking moron. <laughs> yes. Like, if you if you assume that everybody has an inner life and you extend, like, empathy and, like, you don't jump to being upset, it's actually o- almost always about something else. Like, I was arguing with a friend about this movie, and I was like, it's not a good movie. And they were like, no. And they were like, it is good. And we were arguing. And then I was like, oh. And then I was like, I, re- I realized, like, midway through the argument that she had written a review of the movie that the the pu- place didn't publish. And she was upset because the place didn't publish it because people thought the movie was bad and her review was positive. And I was like, oh, you're just upset because they didn't run your review and you didn't get paid. And she was like, yeah. <laughs> like, and if you give people, if you, like, give people the benefit of the doubt or you, stuck, you untangle, it is oftentimes about something totally different. Or it can be really scary that your partner thinks so differently than you. Yeah. And I think that that can really kind of, like, hit a button. Mm-hmm. And it can for me, like, where I'll be like, what? And, like, yeah. I think that that feeling of, like, oh, my God, is this person not compatible with me? Do we think of the world completely differently? Mm-hmm. And suddenly you're freaking out. Yeah. Even though it's a conversation about a movie. Yes. Yeah. So I think you have to, like, take a, again, fig- take a different step back and mm-hmm. be like, I know this person. Yeah. I know all of these things that are big and important and this is a small minor thing mm-hmm. that we are debating and I can and and I can potentially engage with it as an academic in like an mm-hmm. academic way mm-hmm. or you know if you're not in the mood you could just say I I don't I agree to disagree. I don't want to yes. talk about this anymore. You should be and and that's what I mean like you should be allowed to set that boundary. I don't want to talk about this anymore or 
Or like, I'm, uh, I guess we disagree and that's it. Like, it doesn't have to end with her or you being like, uh, you're right, I'm a, a shithead. You yeah. know what I mean? But I also think that you can then later look back and think, okay, so why did that make me so emotional? Mm-hmm. What part of it? Was mm-hmm. it just that we disagreed? Was it the specific subject? Yeah. If it was a specific subject, maybe you can take the time to figure out why that's so sensitive to you and either yeah. then relay that to your partner or mm-hmm. just like do some work to get through that. And but also, I mean, and maybe this is a bad thing to say, but like, if this is what he is like, and mm-hmm. he is someone who wants to debate all the time, I, he just might not be the right fit for you. Yeah, that's and, what I was going to say. Especially because it's like it, it it's making you feel bad about yourself. Yeah, but like, I don't really. I, I used to like to debate more than mm-hmm. I like to debate now. Like, I just like I. It makes me uncomfortable, and I'd rather I'm just tired. Yeah, like I'd rather just be with like minded people, and like. I don't know. I, I'm maybe by the time I'm 40, I'll be less emotionally involved. But like, mm. part of me is like, how do you how do you have these like important discussions without caring? <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I think like, there is okay, so there is something to be said about being a better communicator when you're upset. And when it's about like a thing that actually matters in your relationship versus just like, did you like this movie? Yeah, you don't have to be feel like you have to answer in the moment. If it's something big, you can be like, can we table this and I'm going to think about my thoughts and put my thoughts together. And then either maybe I'll write them down or I'll come to you. You know what I mean? Like there's a don't feel like you have to just jump into the conversation if you're like in the line at McDonald's. And I think you can also say this is this is getting me riled Mm -hmm. like I'm sorry I don't know why but like my body is reacting to this and I think it's probably better if we just like don't talk about this anymore yeah like you're allowed to say this is upsetting me I am emotional yeah and then you can just be like uh like let's come back to this or let I don't know why I'm so sometimes I'm just like I don't know why I'm upset let me think about it exactly I almost never know why I'm upset (laughs) yeah I mean a lot of times it's because I'm hungry right you don't have to uh, debate him just when he decides. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's not like, I want to talk now in the Charlotte Russe at the mall. Like, right. t- talk later. Talk or be like, let's do something else or I don't know. But when it comes to, like, things that you actually do need to resolve with your partner, mm-hmm. um, I think that it's about, like you said, coming from a place of love and assurance that this isn't the end of days conversation. Yes, for sure. We're this not is, breaking up. This is just talking. like, how do we make our relationship that's going to continue no matter what better? Yeah. She might have a fear, honestly, of like being left because there is something to me where like if, if you know, if a partner brings something up, I would be like, well, here it goes, the end, you know, mm-hmm. like because you're worried about abandonment. So there might just be something also like, talk about in therapy or talk about with friends or whatever, where it's like, why when someone says, hey, we need to talk, your first or like bring something mm-hmm. up to you, your first reaction is they're leaving. Yeah. Because also I relate to the wanting to say something unkind because you're like, oh, they're going to leave me. Well, I'll leave them. For, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like that that's a deeper issue for you, basically. Yeah. And I think um, like I think there's something to bringing things up in the moment. And I think there's also something to, like, bringing things up when, like, you're both calm and reflecting on something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? So I think that, like, for smaller things, it can be like, hey, please don't talk to me like that or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then for maybe bigger things, it's like, okay, I wanted to talk to you. This is not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like, we're – I'm very – I love you. You know, like, it's like – it's the compliment sandwich, right? It's like, this relationship is so great. It's worth working on these issues Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so that we can like get to the other side and continue our great relationship yeah conflict isn't uh like the death knell of the relationship and it's also like 
small things are like not personal. I mean, I would jump. I would jump. I would be like, oh my God, they thought that this girl on this show did the right thing. Well, then they hate me. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And like, you just got to shut it down. Yeah. I yeah. also, in a way, just like, I've just tried to care less, mm-hmm. you know, because like, uh, I'd rather just like let things go than like have to like sit and sit and stew in them and then like talk to someone about it. Like, I will only talk to someone about something if like I can't let it go. And I always try to let it go first. And if it's not a, uh, it's not nothing that, not everything they do is a moratorium on you or about you. Like if you're arguing about something and they're, and then you're like, you can't just assume what they're feeling or jump, you know. But I also think that if you're having enough conversations with this person where you completely disagree on bigger issues, Mm -hmm. again, you just might not be compatible, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, part of that emotional response might be you being like, oh, no, this I don't like this person, mm-hmm. you know? Like, you might actually be having a response of, like, oh, I don't respect that opinion. I don't yes. like the way this person thinks. Yes. And, you know, that's also something that maybe you need to listen to. Yeah, take that in. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm going to continue to avoid all the conflict oh, in my God. life. But and- then you can't set boundaries and you need boundaries. You need to set boundaries with people so that they don't they're they're not walking all over you. It's never about someone walking all over me. Okay. Um I'm going to have to really look into this in myself. Thank you for bringing this up, Abby. <laughs> wow, Abby, thanks. If you want to submit your international questions, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking to our book editor, Sarah Goodman. Ooh, we have books. Just Between Us. Hi everyone, Allison here. Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to read. I am always looking for new books and that is why I'm so excited that this episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. It was so fun for me to get to pick which book I wanted to read this month and have it shipped right to my door. Book of the Month makes it easy to decide which book to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box. And there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options. Shipping is always free. And with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment. And she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic, a new husband comes out. And she's she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic, trying to figure out which one is the best. It is right up my alley and I love it so much. So if you want to take part in Book of the Month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you all about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. 
Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice to text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Right before I found out about this project, my mom made an offhand comment about wanting to write a memoir because she had such a wild childhood and there are all these things she's never really talked to us about. But asking someone to sit down and write a memoir is kind of daunting. So then I got her mylifeinabook.com and now she's getting prompts to answer on a weekly basis and it's a lot easier than just undertaking an entire memoir. I'm so excited to see what my mom does with mylifeinabook.com because she's someone who doesn't always feel comfortable just sharing about herself but having these prompts and knowing that I really want to hear her answers is going to inspire her to probably share more with me about her life and her upbringing than I've ever been shared with before so I'm so excited for that. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code just between us at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code just between us for 10% off today. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Our guest this week is the editor of our two books, Sarah Goodman, who is the editorial director of new young adult crossover imprint at St. Martin's called Wednesday Books. We, and- we were one of the first books released by Wednesday Books. Right, Sarah? You were, you were the first book released by Wednesday Books. We created the imprint. Just kidding. <laughs> That's all, Sarah. In, in, in fact, I actually, I'll have to send you guys a picture. I have a picture of your cute author photo with um, I Hate Everyone But You hitting the bestseller list because it was also our very first bestseller. Oh, oh my God. Wow. We have such a beautiful relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and I always I have it framed on my wall, sort of like how some businesses have their first dollar bill framed. That's how I like to think of it. Yeah. Oh, my God. That brings me such joy. <laughs> yeah. Like, it who cares about joy. us? We're just happy we did this for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. <laughs> so you are a master. I mean, it's a really big deal to get your own imprint. Um, that's like a thing all editors sort of strive for. And so what do you think led led that to happen for you? Um, you know, I've, I am very, very lucky. Sometimes I think of myself like a pinball, though I know I have more free will than that, that I have been very lucky in that my sort of, I've sort of always kind of, um, landed where I needed to be. And when I got to St. Martin's Press, um, I was, I started working for who is now our publisher, Jennifer Enderlin, and she just always kept kept her eye out for me and I, I and I guess probably because she must have seen something in me that I didn't even realize was there at the start but that she really did um help me out and I think that that's kind of the first key to success is having a good mentor or somebody who's kind of helping you out and opening the doors for you so that was primarily first but also 
Um, when I started here, there weren't that many people doing young adults. So I had sort of carved out a little niche for myself. So that is really how Wednesday Books started because I was publishing into a category that we weren't doing a ton of here. That's so crazy because um, I feel like that's such a huge category. Huge, right? I know. We, you know, St. Martin's has never really had imprints. And so everybody, all the editors were sort of allowed to acquire what they want within reason. Obviously, you kind of have to have a skill level for the kind of book that you're trying to acquire. But for me with YA, I think it was just something that I had always been reading, but not really realizing I wanted to work on. And so when I started buying some, and in fact, my very first acquisition is this woman, Courtney Summers, who we've had a lot oh, of yeah. success. Yeah, so I think that that was part of it too. Is that I I also was lucky in that I had a lot of really great submissions right away and had books that actually kind of did well right away. So mm. that's also helpful too. What um what year was that around? And when did young adult like? Do you feel like it's become more respected since that time when you were like the one of the only ones focused on it? You know, it's a good question. I don't know about more respected because I feel like there have been the you know the sort of um you know, the, the big, the big cheeses of YA have been publishing for so long, Judy Bloom, uh, among many others, Beverly, clearly, you know, there's all sorts of examples, but I think it just the category itself hadn't actually been carved out in the way that it has been. And I think some of that has to do with movies. I think a lot of it has to do with the retailers recognizing, Hey, this is a category that we should maybe just create its own shelf. Um, the New York Times starting their own list of best young adult reader novels, best selling young adult readers. So there's all sorts of components, I think, that have come into making it a category that it is now. Um, when I started acquiring YA at St. Martin's, it was 2007 or 2008. I can't really remember. So this was like right around the time. I remember I had a, an early reader copy of 13 Reasons Why. So that was before. Oh, wow. Whoa. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what book we were on in the Twilight series, but that was certainly <laughs> The Hunger Games was really, really big. It was right before The Fault in Our Stars came out. So that was before then. Um, I, I I can't remember where in the Veronica Ross timing we were, but mm -hmm. it was long after the Divergent books came out. So it was a very at the time was huge, and there was like I said there were there was there was another editor who had been doing some way. We she had acquired one of our big series best selling series called PC Cast as the co authored um, fantasy series. Um, but nobody had really been doing realistic contemporary stories, which is what I started doing and sort of building my list that way. What makes you want a book? Um, you know, it's it's a, a lot of different things because sometimes I'll read a book and I'll see that it's kind of rough around the edges, but that if I've fallen into it, I always think when, a, when the words fall away from the page, when you sort of enter the book like, like you would a movie, mm -hmm. that's no, when I when I'm on the subway and I'm and 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 subway stops are passing me by that I didn't even realize because I've gotten so dumped into this book. I think that's when I know when I when the world falls away. Um, How often? Like, what ratio do you think that that happens with the manuscripts that you read? Um, I God, I don't know. Like <laughs> percent of the time. What percent? Two. Two. two percent. <laughs> <laughs> Not very often. I know it's, 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 um, this, this industry is so full of rejection on all ends from the authors to the editors bringing up their first projects and editorial meetings. You know, it's, it's tough. It's like, it's definitely like winning the lottery. 
Yeah, so talk us kind of through that process. Um, so you, if you're an editor, you read something, you don't get to just like approve it, right? You have to like kind of go to the board in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the level that you're at. I mean, I think as an editorial director, if I have something in that I just absolutely love that, um, you know, my boss is pretty open to me making decisions on my own. I mean, within reason, obviously, Mm -hmm. I think things get very expensive. That is a different story. Um, But for the most part, at a certain level, my bosses trust me to acquire projects without having it to get a ton of um, reads on it. Um, But for the most part, for as an editor coming up in the business, yes, you want to get a bunch of different people reading your submission before you bring it even up to the acquisitions meeting so that when you go into that meeting, you know that you have some, some voices in the room that will, that will speak up and on your behalf. And so that's the first thing. And, you know, it's, it's the real trust of a, of a, of a a courageous young editor who goes into that meeting, having gotten some negative reviews on her book um, and bringing it up anyways. So that's another thing too. Um, But you know, that's kind of the part of the process. And and if you're lucky, everybody really loves it. And they're like, you must buy this. And then they, you kind of go through some numbers and then you come to, um, you know, an advanced level to go to the agent with an offer. Are you like given, maybe you're not allowed to say this, but are you given like, okay, this is the most that you can go to. So let's come in lower but then once we reach the <laughs> ceiling, we can't go past that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like sort of common negotiating, right? It's like with anything that you're buying a big ticket item, you're never going to go in at the top, top price because often the top, top price is actually well beyond what you should be spending. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, like, I try to go in at prices that I know, you know, for for a book for a certain level that you like the chance the author has a, an opportunity to earn that out, for example, over time. Um, cause right. You know, that's how advances work. You, you get the money up front and then you kind of have to make it back through books sold in order to get more money. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In order to start making money on each copy sold, you have to first earn out the money that we advanced you. Have you exactly. had people just, um, given people an advance and then they just never finish the book and then they have to give the money back? Um, that has actually never happened to me. Um, oh, that's, oh, that's, that's, maybe that says good things about you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has never happened to me. I think, um, it, you know, in some ways it's because I publish fiction and for the most part, I, I acquire books that are done. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, I mean, obviously there are times when you have a second or third book on a contract and those books aren't done and that has come, but it, l- luckily I actually have it. And I think also because, because it's fiction, there's not as much pressure to have a book out every year. Mm -hmm. So if an author needs more time, that's sort of always on the table. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So yeah, but it has happened. I've definitely been witness to other editors going through that for sure. Is there any way that you're like, I can predict this book is going to do well? Are there certain topics that you're like, oh, that always does well or certain types of stories? I mean, no, I can't. Yeah. I mean, I think there are certain books that come in that feel, and it, a lot of it for me is the gut. Um, a lot of mm-hmm. times you a book comes in that just feels, you know it, like your spidey senses come out, you know it. Like I, I can feel a real quality of writing that I've never seen before, a topic that I've never really pondered before, characters I've never seen before, all these kinds of things that sort of point to a, a big important book. 
I think in fiction, it's a little bit harder because it's art, you know, it's like you're up, you're sort of up against all sorts of different things, the news cycle, what people are paying attention to. Sometimes you, you don't end up, you know, getting the retailer support that you thought, but for the most part, mm-hmm. I can kind of sense it. Nonfiction, in some ways, I feel like you have a little bit easier time because so much of it is platform driven. So you can kind of see, oh, this person has an, a built in audience that are likely going to come and buy the book. And you can kind of, you can almost sort of triangulate sales a little bit easier I think although I'm sure a nonfiction editor would say eh it's an imperfect <laughs> science. all an imperfect science we're always we're always taking risks so I think everyone knows that writers are are a sensitive group of people um <laughs> how have has, has been a big part of your job been learning how to deal with them and give notes and like maintain relationships I imagine that can be quite tricky picking your battles maybe <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the way that I've always approached editing, and I think I was like this with you guys, um, you guys are, you guys in some ways, though, because you both come from like, you know, one of you is script writing and journalism, you kind of have a a different approach to writing, you're a little bit more, um, you said you got you took notes really well and easily, although I don't think I had that many for you. Brag, brag, brag. And certainly, though, I definitely have had, I think it, I, I, what it's important to me when I start working with somebody that we have a lot of conversations ahead of editorial letter come anyways, I get a sense of, um, I just kind of get a sense of what somebody might be open to. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some, some of my authors I feel pretty comfortable pretty being pretty direct and straightforward because I know that they aren't going to take it personally or anything like that. Others I sort of, I read, I, I kind of get, yeah, I get good at picking up on, on how people like to communicate. That's all it is. It's communication. Um, and just making sure that I'm, I'm always sort of paying attention to the sort of ups and downs. I mean, I can tell, I can always, I can always tell a lot too, based on how people are, are on um, social media. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So you're just stalking, trying to be like, are they in a good mood today to give them their notes? Stalking's the wrong word, but like certainly like aware of maybe somebody not having the best time and, (laughs) And if I if I know that I need to give them an editorial letter to sort of keep that in mind, just as a sort of like, hey, I'm about to write you some tough stuff. Like, if you want to hop on the phone first, you know, sort of open up the, the lines mm-hmm. of communication. Mm-hmm. Which I'm so are always smart. Yeah, I mean, you know, I try. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's to me, I, I think very much of editing a book, especially when it's a big editorial job. It's like, you know, I, I realize it's like it's like doing open heart surgery. It's like, I mean, it's not that. But it's delicate. It's delicate. And it's someone's like baby, you know? Yeah, it's I take it very seriously. And I get it. Like I'm just personally somebody who can can kind of be overly sensitive and defensive about things, especially criticism. I get it. You know, I totally get it. And I know that I really appreciate people who talk to me in direct ways, but who are also sensitive to the fact that I'm sensitive. Mm -hmm. So I get it. I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Because you can't help if you're sensitive, you know, but you can you can try to work through it, you know, and like when someone not like tiptoes around you, but like acknowledges that like, hey, this isn't going to be the best news. Right. Like that can help. <laughs> yeah. Like I understand, you know, you understand that like this is some this, this is like an extension of themselves as the artist. And you're like, hey, look, I got to tell you some stuff about your self. <laughs> yeah, basically, exactly. And, and, you know, exactly. And, and really sort of opening myself up to to just be like, you know, you can push back, you can disagree with mm-hmm. me, you can get mad at me, you can get mad at me, like, that's okay. 
Um, yeah, that means, know. have you ever had like a big argument with a writer about, about you wanting a, like a significant change and, and them just saying no? Um, no, uh, not, nothing specific, but there have been times where I have asked for a pretty, pretty intense revision and the, the author being like, I'm not sure I'm up for it. That definitely has happened. So what um, happens then? You know, and actually for the most part though, in those cases, I'll be like, I hear you. So let's, let's figure out another way. Mm. Um, that has, that has come down to putting that novel in a drawer and some starting something new or finding a new approach into the, the draft that wasn't working. It really depends. Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, but I, for me, I take, I take a lot of books cause it's like, it's up, especially for authors who, you know, have had other books out and they have like a third or fourth book coming. Like it's important to me that I'm always helping somebody grow and be better and get a bigger audience. And so I'm always trying to push too. Um, and I, and I try to, I try to communicate that ahead of time. Like I'm here to help. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. We're on the same team. Better. Right. It's not I, artist versus editor. It's like, no. which I think sometimes people view it as, as an artist. Totally. And I, yeah, exactly. So I have, you know, I have, I've been pretty lucky for the most part that like any major revisions that like the, usually the author has been like, yeah, I see that. Usually it's Ugh. not a, a surprise. Yeah, that's the worst is when you're like, I hope this part works. And then someone's like, that part doesn't work. And you're like, yeah, I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. Whoops. (laughs) I mean, I would say almost like 98% of the time, though, if I have to write a tough editorial letter, the author was not surprised to receive it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. That's good. You're not working with super delusional people. (laughs) No, nor am I like so such a tyrant that I'm like... (laughs) Just ripping everything and anything apart at all times. <laughs> She's not doing celebrity memoirs. Well, I have to say that, like, I, you know, we've worked on a bunch of creative projects, and I, I completely felt like with you, there was no sense of, like, I have to give notes to give notes. Oh, huge. Which was amazing. <laughs> so many times we've dealt with people who are giving notes just because we're like, they have to keep their job, huh? And you don't do that. Right, exactly. And I've noticed, like, I see that my husband's um, a journalist. And so he he gets that a lot. And I've known other people, especially and you may, Allison, have seen this with script writing, where like, because it's all a thing, right? Notes, got to get notes. Mm-hmm. It's like, I am more than happy not to have any notes. Like, <laughs> hey, this first 100 pages is excellent, you know, because obviously, like, I'm also not like going in and copy editing. So those will come later. For me, it's just about whether or not something's flowing and sounds good and feels right. So yeah, no, thanks. I'm glad that's the case. Cause you guys, I mean, I remember the first draft of I hate everyone, but you was like impeccable. I couldn't believe it. So you hear that everyone? Yeah. (laughs) Order it now. (laughs) Um, It was was pleasure. I cause you, she's editing and editing and reading for pleasure, very different muscles. And so I always think of it like as I'm editing, like what's my eyeball snagging on and like what's keeping me from, like I said, like entering the world of this book and the words, worlds, and the words falling away from the page. Like what is it that's stopping that from happening? And that didn't happen. I remember when I was reading, I was like, ah, this is happening. Like I would like, I was like enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's listening and they're like a writer that's sort of starting out, what, like, what is the best way for them to, to, to just start to, to get like their baby or their manuscript or whatever, like to someone like you or to someone below you, you know what I mean? Like if they have to go to an agent first. Yeah. Like if they're, yeah. 
But if they're sort of like, what would be the the thing that, I mean, just even to be like, hey, let make sure that your thing has this so that when it gets to me, I'm not like, ah, this is garbage. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. I mean, I, hmm. I mean, it definitely has to be agented. So mm-hmm. that's the first mm-hmm. hurdle. Um, def- you know, I think and, and agents will have more rules in terms of how they like it formatted and what kinds of font they want it in. I mean, I feel like a lot of times agents will have very specific querying rules. Um, So that's kind of the first thing for me. And then after that, like it's, there's a lot of different factors that go into deciding to work with an author. But I think especially for people starting out, like I've noticed that it's very helpful. We've we've been working with a lot of authors who had already been involved in their own writing communities, whether they found them online or they're local. And I've been surprised to see that like, you know, like I think Angie Thomas, for example, was in a really tight writing group and that some of her her friends or her her writers that were in the same group are still buddies. So, you know, that's, I think, that's a really powerful way to just even have people reading your work and commenting on your work. And then if, you know, somebody in that crew goes on and gets famous, then you have this connection to that person who can refer you to an agent. Mm-hmm. I think it's all about just reaching out to communities of writers. Like, again, if you're in an isolated place or you're living out in the middle of nowhere, you can still find these people online. Um, that way too. So I think that I've noticed that over and over that just, Authors who get involved with lo- like writing communities in some way um, get a lot of support that way and, and, and sort of find their way through the industry. Yeah, it doesn't behoove you to sit in your house and think of writing as like a solitary thing that you never show anyone. Exactly, exactly. It, it like speaks to what you said earlier about helping each other out, you mm-hmm. know, and like having mentees and mentoring people and um, always looking to share the love. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And um, get other writers' eyeballs on it before before you're like, now it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that like it, it makes a big difference because then you also, if you're lucky to, to end up with an agent who is a good editor, who will then also read it and give you notes before mm-hmm, sending mm-hmm. it to editors. Because obviously as editors, we know that our job is to edit books but when you're acquiring something like that first product you know it's it it should be in pretty good condition by the time it gets to an editor okay before we go into our very fun next segment do you have um just like one piece of advice it could be about anything that you've learned on this journey (laughs) what piece of advice for for somebody who wants to be a writer or for somebody who wants to be for anyone, and just any good, any, any advice. Because you know, you're also in a lot of ways a businesswoman. You know, now you're managing a bunch of people and mm-hmm. you have yeah. like your own little company. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that like the, the thing for me that I talk to myself about every day that I, I don't know if I say it to writers enough. I certainly say it to my kids a lot, which is just that like I think the people in life who are sort of the most successful are those that like aren't aren't. um burdened too much by what other people are thinking of them. And I think that that obviously is like extends way beyond writing books and being in publishing, but that I think it's been so such a revelation of becoming an old, like of being 43 and sort of as I've gotten older, realizing that like, I don't need to be so concerned with everybody Mm -hmm. liking me. I just need to be concerned with being who I feel is a good person and working really hard. And I think that in publishing, it can be very hard as a writer or even as an editor or a marketer. It's like there's a lot of like you comparing yourself to other people. I'm not on this journey like they are. They're 22 and already have a bestseller. 
you know, I didn't come over to editorial until I was in my early thirties. It took me a long time to get to where I am, mm -hmm. but you know what I mean? Everybody has their own path and everybody, there's all these stories all the time about how people didn't get their first book published until they were 50. And then, then they became massively successful. Right. You know, I think it's just like always trusting that you're on your own journey and not to get too sidetracked by what other people are doing. Obviously you can't, you have to be aware of other people and you have to be sensitive to other people, all those things of being just a human being on the planet. But I do think not getting too worried about the fact that you're not, your path doesn't look like somebody else's. Huge. That is huge. Yeah, that's yeah. helpful to me right now. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, would you like to play America's Favorite Game Show, Hypotheticals? Yes. <laughs> oh, wonderful. We'll start out with everybody's favorite. Would you stay with this cheater? <laughs> Here we go. You find out your significant other of 30 years has been cheating on you the whole time when they publish a book called My Many Mistakes, I Love My Wife So Much. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's part memoir and part love letter to you. It also makes them millions of dollars. Would you stay with this cheater and join them on the very fancy publicity tour? Okay, hold on. So they they didn't tell you till the book was published. Right. Okay. Sarah, your thoughts? <laughs> uh, well, so I really want to just make it about me and like wear really fabulous outfits and just be totally horrible in all the author events, but make him take me with him everywhere he goes. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. And, then and just be a complete total diva and turn it into a show about moi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then it's kind of this thing. I don't like looking foolish. And it kind of you become famous for being cheated on, which I don't love. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, but if you can make money off of that, why not? Right. I, I mean, I, I mean, for me, I guess it would be more about just being like, actually, this makes you look like an asshole and me look pretty great. I would th that would be the spin that I would put it on. But I, I hear you on not wanting to look like the dummy in that. Oh, this is such a tough one because I love money, but I hate looking foolish. Um, I'm not going to stay. You're going to leave the the renowned author of My Many Mistakes, I Love My Wife So Much? Yeah, I'm going to leave and do like a self-respect publicity tour. Wow. I think You're a bigger person than I am. I think the right answer, sorry, is that you guys write a response book. Together? Mm -hmm. No, like you, like you or Sarah, like you write a response, oh. you know, called, I've made no mistakes. I hate my ex-husband. Whoa. <laughs> Sarah, would you buy that book? Totally. Especially <laughs> if I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> but I've always liked that in any movies or any TV when, like, the person who's been cheated on or who's who's been treated badly, like, has their moment, you mm -hmm. know, in front of the cameras with their big glasses on and, you know, they sort of steal the thunder from that everything. Like they take all that, the control back. And that will happen in the movie adaptation of I've made no mistakes. I hate my ex-husband. <laughs> exactly. These titles are so long. <laughs> yeah, because they, they stick with you. Yeah. <laughs> did I play it right? Yeah, you oh, did a you're great doing job. Great. Okay, thanks. We've got our next one. Is this a date? Here we go. While on the subway, a stranger notices that you have finished your book. So they get up and offer to recite all of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows to you from memory to keep you entertained on the ride. Is this a date? <laughs> Sounds like torture. <laughs> uh, uh, no. No. It's, it's not. It's an overwhelming 
flirtatious moment. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good date. Oh, got it. Yeah, we always forget that it's not necessarily a good date. <laughs> Right. But it's a stranger who's noticed it. So really, like you're I mean, that would take like days, really, wouldn't it for that person to recite? That's true. It's very long. Well, the the issue is, is that you get off the subway and they keep following you. They keep no. following. Well, then it's um, I so I'm going to say I don't like when strangers follow me or talk to me. So it's not a date. But this person, <laughs> they do all the voices. I OK, I understand that that's cool. But I, I gotta, I gotta go with a hard. It's not a date. In fact, maybe call nine one one. Yeah, okay. I feel the same. Okay, well, it sucks <laughs> for you because uh, that was your soulmate. Oh, was it? <laughs> and also, they are the most popular fan fiction author of Harry Potter. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that they've monetized. Shit. I yeah. wonder well, who that actually is. Um, I don't know, but this girl that ran this, like, Harry Potter website got a stalker for, like, 10 years off of it. What? Yeah, and, like, she's, like, and it's, like, in another country, and it's, like, she's, like, gone to trial. It's a whole thing. So, anyway, don't get into Harry Potter. (laughs) You heard it here first on this episode with a young adult editor. Don't get into Harry Potter. It's dangerous. (laughs) Gateway drug, Harry Potter. Okay, our final game. Are they an alien or just rude? While speaking at a literary conference, one of the audience members quacks like a duck whenever they agree with you. It starts off annoying, but then becomes empowering because they agree with you a lot. Is this person an alien or just rude? Sarah? An alien, for sure. (laughs) Well, just keep in mind that in this scenario, uh, it was an actual duck. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) Wait, the person was a duck in a person suit or it was a duck? Uh, it was a magical duck <laughs> who had transformed into a human. So not an alien, but a magical duck. Who had written a book? Uh, the duck had written a book? No, not written a book. Yeah, it just, oh. can't, just attends literary conferences. Oh. <laughs> the duck is an editor at Wednesday Books. <laughs> Well, you know, stranger things have happened. I mean, there we've had we've had a, like at SMP, we've had a couple books, you know, ostensibly by like Crusoe, the the dachshund, for example. Dogs, dogs are writing books. Oh wow! Yep. yep. I yep. I was shocked to find out that like pet solving mysteries is a whole genre. <laughs> oh wow! Like for huge. Sure. Mm-hmm. Wild. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> that's my backup plan. Um, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. Where can people find you if you want to be found? You know, they can find me on Twitter. I'm Sarah Willow NYC on Twitter. That's probably the best way to find me. Wonderful. And uh, we apologize if you now get flooded with uh, book proposals. <laughs> I know that's just exactly what's gonna. I was thinking that. I was like, yeah, and Wednesday books. And I was like, leave them alone. Actually, <laughs> that's okay. Just keep in mind that they have to be agented. Yeah, and, so and your, listening. your roommate can't become your agent. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Stay tuned after the break. We'll be talking about our most unhealthy relationships. No, thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Welcome back to Just Between Us. 
It's time for topic X X X X X X X. Let's dive into our most unhealthy relationships, and uh-huh. not necessarily like the relationship overall, but like uh, behavior and stuff that you have had in different relationships that you find to be really harmful. Only almost all of them. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've I've grown and changed a lot. Let me put that out there and start with that. Uh, but I think there were like tons of, of relationships where there was no trust. Mm-hmm. So like college boyfriend didn't trust each other at all. Yeah. And then was just like constantly, I felt like I was a PI hired to like <laughs> investigate him. Like it was just constant, like invest, like what, I had that figuring out what he was up to. Yeah. Like, um, if you're like literally stalking your own boyfriend, like, <laughs> <laughs> there's problems. Like. Just trying, just like he was never where he said he was. He was always up to something. He was always cheating. He was always lying. And then and what I was would like, happen when you would catch him? You'd just be like, I fight. caught you. Yeah. And then you'd keep going. You'd yeah. keep dating. We would like fight. And then we would just be like, anyway, let's get some pizza. Like, I, I don't even know. I can't even tell you how, how, how we would just be like, anyway, we're back together. But like, it we was were so young. Yeah, I mean, I was 19 to 21. Your 20. brain is barely a brain. It's no. just a ball of mush horrible and like i one time he uh we were at a party and we went game we came downstairs together and then he went uh i'm actually gonna go back up and fuck the host of the party oh yeah you've told me this. and i was like right now and he was like yeah so i'll talk to you and i was like i i wish you hey i wish you wouldn't do that and he was like yeah no 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 i i hear you but i'm going to <laughs> and then he just went upstairs and then stayed at that girl's house and then i was just at downstairs and i just went home so didn't you go hook up with someone else well yes i was like on my way home and then i was like and then i called a friend of mine and was like what are you doing and then i went and fucked someone else but the so point that would be an example of retaliation yes. which is another unhealthy habit to have absolutely so like that was the thing where and then i don't know we just stayed together yeah like that if you're like at war with your partner like if you're constantly like you feel like you're fighting a battle and you have to like get intel and you're like in some sort of weird war with them where there's like strikes and strikes back and whatever that's not healthy yeah i one of the most unhealthy things i would do is i would try to punish them Mm -hmm. so if i was upset then i would be withholding Mm -hmm. or i'd be passive aggressive or i would cancel plans Mm -hmm. or you know and like i would act out Mm -hmm. and a lot of the times like it was for stuff that was like completely unintentional like oh they're running late Mm -hmm. and it's like yes that's them not prioritizing my time but I don't need to then like be a little baby about it yeah I mean a lot of it could just come down to either you break up or communication like where you're like this person like it should have just ended the relationship but instead or, or but with stuff like that too it's like or just communication just like hey I didn't like that you were late yeah, I well, I think that dating me now is a, dating a completely different person than me in like 2015, 16, 17. I would hope 17. so. You know, me like too, I, and I would hope so. I think a big thing for me was not being ashamed of what I wanted. So mm-hmm. I want a serious relationship and I want to get married. And yeah. that's and I don't want that 15 years from now. Like that's something I'm actively want in my near future. Mm-hmm. And I think up until this relationship, I I had to act or like you know like play it, what, it cool yeah like play it cool or like you've been playing it so cool so <laughs> close to the best no one had any idea that's what you were about or wanted like with one relationship i remember having to like play it he was like well you talk about it all the time like online but we've never talked about it and i was like well you know that's a 
character. It's like, yeah, like, and like, it's not really that. me. Like, I'm allowed to say what I want. And if they want something else, then that just, again, means we're not compatible. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that what I want is bad and that I should feel all of this shame for wanting this thing that so many people want. Yeah. I just kind of was like, where's uh, where's the fire? Like, in the sense of trying to be like, well, if I've been with this some person a certain amount of time, we have to make it work. Versus like, you don't have kids. Mm-hmm. Like, you're fighting all the time. Totally. Like, you can break up. Absolutely. <laughs> it doesn't have, because then it spirals into unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Then it gets to, you're fighting all the time. You're, like, my ex and I fought every day. Like, really? we're, oh, we were fighting all the fucking time. Now I look back and I'm like, I have no concept. Like, if you were like, what are five reasons this person was mad at you? I don't know. So I didn't realize you guys were fighting every day. Like, all the time. But I, not every day, but, like, a lot. For for how long? <sighs> I mean, we've, we've, we're fighting a lot since, like, the beginning, since, like, the jump. Really? Since, like, yeah. I mean, since the jump. But what the, the turning point was that we fought in front of my sister. And I was like, if we are just so comfortable fighting that mm-hmm. we can just fight in front of a family member and not feel weird about it. Then that, it's gone too far. It's gone too far. Yeah. I don't want to be the couple at the family reunion who, like, everyone is just like, they're fully having it out in front of the whole family. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't – because my my parents and p- other people in my family are that way. And I just realized, like, if you're fighting in front of family where you're supposed to kind of be putting on a nice face, like, <laughs> and you feel okay doing that, then the fighting's become too normalized and it was unhealthy. I think that I react very differently in a relationship when I don't feel safe versus Mm -hmm. when I feel safe. Mm -hmm. So when I don't feel safe is when I act out and Mm -hmm. when I'm going to, like, be my worst self. Mm -hmm. But, like, when I feel safe, I'm a delight. Yeah. And so I think that there is this thing of, like, oh, no, I'm bad at dating. Like, I'm Mm. an unhealthy dater. I don't know how how to be a good communicator. I don't know how to feel – I don't know how to trust someone. I don't Mm -hmm. know all this stuff. And then suddenly you're with somebody who's a better fit, and you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm not the problem. That relationship was the problem. That that pairing of people was the problem. Or not even the problem, but you have certain triggers that you're, like, not – you don't realize the person is triggering them for you. Right. So, like, you know, I've – the communication styles in all my relationships have been different. You know, mm-hmm. like I've had one relationship where we like would yell at each other. Mm-hmm. I've never had that before or since, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so I think that like not feeling like you're going to necessarily take all of your bad habits into a new relationship. Yeah, that it can change based on like some someone might just not have the thing that triggers you. Right. And like obviously work on yourself and mm-hmm. claim responsibility, but don't be like, well, this is the way I am in a relationship. Yes, Because exactly. that's not true. Hopefully that's not true. Yeah, and certain people, like people I've dated where even with non-monogamy where we're like, using the non-monogamy all the time and hooking up with other people all the time and then other people that I've dated where we're still non-monogamous but we're just that's not our vibe like and then I don't have to go like but I'm non-monogamous so I have to behave a certain way like Mm -hmm. it's just like in tailored to the individual relationship you behave I feel like everybody behaves differently in every relationship yeah Unless you're a psycho like one of my exes who just, like, resends the same text to all the same girls. But <laughs> but other than that, I would hope and assume that you act differently in every relationship. I think the other biggest unhealthy thing is when there is a super uneven uh, power dynamic. Yep. Where one person clearly likes the other person more. 
yeah. and is more invested and will put up with more shit as mm-hmm. a result, you got to get out. Yeah. I think it's rare that, that relationships are even all of the time. Like the yeah. ebb and flow and like maybe today I have more power, he has more power. Mm-hmm. You know, power is like a weird word to use, but it's just the truth. Yeah. But like if it's always a constant that one person is in the position of power and one mm-hmm. person is not, it's just a bad relationship. And yeah. You, and, and both of you deserve more. Ugh, some people love that though. Some people like to be the person that's liked more. You know what I mean? I've seen people repeat that a lot because Ugh. they're they're scared. Yeah, but like you're also not going you probably don't respect your partner. No, it's not a good relationship, but I know that people like are nervous or scared and they don't want to be left, so they just are with people that they know won't leave them. Yeah, but then you don't get to experience real love. Whoa. Mm. Deep. I think I just think I've changed so much in terms of communication and also like what what I let bother me and what mm-hmm. I'm just like, who cares? Yeah. And like what not taking things personally or like assume like suddenly being like, no, like and I would say 99% of their actions have nothing to do with me, <laughs> which is like <laughs> such a relief. Um, and like that was just really lovely. Like the person I dated was like, it's so great that like it, I'll be I'm constant because they're constantly like are you mad at me are you mad at me and then I'm, I'll be like no I'm not mad at you and I don't really understand who would be mad at you for that that seems like something that's not your fault or also just like a weird thing to be mad about and they were like that's so great that you're like that there's like this like healthiness of like that uh not only am I not mad at you but like anyone who's been mad at you about that in the past was not being nice to you mm. like I don't know it's just like Putting the energy, putting my energy into the right places and, and picking my battles and, like, choosing how to communicate what those battles is so different. And also coming from a place of, of partnership mm-hmm. versus, like, I got to win this. Yes, that's what I mean. Like, they're not your enemy. I don't right. understand people who date people who are, they, like, fully are enemies. <laughs> what? Yeah. Or, like, you feel – because it's, it's, again, like, you, you don't want to feel foolish. You don't want to lose because you don't feel safe. Yeah, but it's also, like, that person's not, like, you guys are partnered. You should be supporting and helping each other. You shouldn't be, like, trying to gotcha the other person or you shouldn't feel like you have to be, like, on eggshells or something because you're you're in some sort of war. And I, I mean, I think, again, like, so much of that comes from trust, right? So, like, I used to not be self-confident enough mm-hmm. to think that my partner could go out with another single girl and mm. they could be friends and it would, like, not be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, I would have to, like... In, like investigate and mm-hmm. like ask a bunch of questions and like make it clear that that made me a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. and like whatever and now like if it's if jake like brings up a girl or whatever and like i in my head i go allison you trust him there's nothing to worry about here mm-hmm. he's he's chosen you mm-hmm. you are his person and and then i'm like okay great i hope uh, like i hope you have fun yeah <laughs> you know and like ha. some of that had nothing to do with the relationship or even the person i was in the relationship with it was just about getting to be confident enough in myself mm-hmm. and in believing when someone says i'm with you mm-hmm. that i think was a really big issue for me is that i didn't believe that i think like there was a lot of stuff where um I think like my parents don't didn't really haven't really liked anyone that I've dated. They have more recently, but there was like a thing where if they didn't like someone, I would like them more. Mm, that's and I very think unhealthy. That's unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't do that. No, that's not what that's about. Yeah. I also need a lot less reassurance than I used to need, and again, that comes with just like being more comfortable as my own person and having more self confidence. Yeah. I think it was unhealthy when I dated people that were involved in every aspect of my life 
work together, live together. You know what I mean? Like just, or like just people that were so entwined in my day to day. I also think sometimes it felt almost like your person would just kind of like follow you along through your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like your life was the priority and they were sort of like your personal assistant. I'm not totally (laughs) sure. (laughs) Melissa, come on in here and tell us what you do wrong in relationships. Oh my God. Uh, Welcome, Melissa. What is the worst thing you've done in a relationship? <laughs> um, this is just like a recurring thing for me. It's just I just don't care about <laughs> things. What? What do you mean? <laughs> like, you don't care just, about them? Not them, but just like things in the relationship. <laughs> You're like, like not what? super invested? Yeah. 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 And just they want like, more investment? Mm-hmm. Do you just have like a hard anything. time getting close to people? I do. Yeah. And so they want you to be like... I want to meet your family. I want us to live mm-hmm. together. And, and you're my, like, and like it, my family doesn't know you exist. Oh, oh Melissa, wow. that's so hurtful. I, just, I never said that, that, but that's what I'm thinking in my oh, head. Oh, wow. That's so hurtful. Have you ever been in love? Yeah. And even in love, you still keep them at no, arm's length? No, 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 that one, like, they, like the few that I have been in love with, then they know. But oh, okay. like, yeah, if they're not, like, ser- if we're not, like, like really serious, then yeah. I just don't care (laughs) and do you think like you can start out not caring and then you get to the point okay okay so they gotta win you over they gotta win me over no that's so dangerous to tell people because then people are like I just have to win them over but like I know this like I know these are issues that I have you have to get to a place with the person Mm -hmm. yeah it just takes time yeah or, oh, oh. You're like an onion. You got to peel back the layers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, you guys what? still don't know if I like you or not. I know. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> I was like, okay, so she keeps everyone at a distance. Like, <laughs> is that what you were thinking? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, that's, yeah, well, you know, we're a relationship in a way. <laughs> <sighs> what do we rate this wonderful episode? <laughs> Melissa? I'll give it 4.98 irritated assholes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my favorite rating so far, and Sugar appreciates it and feels seen. I'm going to rate it uh, 7 out of 7 um, editorial letters. Oh, okay. Because I, nice. I, well, but do you want 7 editorial letters, or do you no. want an email that says, no notes? <laughs> <laughs> I want that. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Draft. No notes. To the publisher with it. <laughs> no typos. Are you a robot? Come on. <laughs> uh, what did we learn? I learned like I know nothing about the book publishing. It's very thing. weird, right? Yeah, it is strange, and I've been like wanting to learn more. So this was perfect for me. So like everything in that segment was something new. Oh, oh. I know. When we first went through the process, I was like, "This is very different. I don't understand." Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't. Uh, parts of it. I mean, uh, I think it was unclear to me, like, how many rounds of copy editing mm-hmm. was happening mm-hmm. and, like, when we did what and, like... It's what the timeline the of timeline, anything was. Yeah, yeah. It's just different and interesting. Yeah. I have just, like, such a professional crush on her. Yeah. Like, I feel like she's just, like, doing Successful so well cool. in her industry and is so likable and approachable and, like, I just... I would love to emulate her in some way. Well, she talked about mentors and mentees, so... I'll just call her up and be like, hey, I'd Got- lo- love to apply to be your mentee. <laughs> Got any life advice, Sarah? <laughs> uh, funniest part? Um, funniest part. I mean, 
probably just all the dog secretion talk. <laughs> hey, I you hate, act like you hate it. I hate it, but I, I hate you to love, I love it. to hate it. I love to hate it. <laughs> yeah, I love to hate it. Um, two parts. When you said don't get into Harry Potter. <laughs> it's dangerous. It is. Oh, gosh. I'll stop there. Um, <laughs> and then like the pet solving mysteries is a genre. Yes. The pet is the detective. The pet is the detective. And I think there's also a genre where pets are chefs. No. I have to double like, check on that ratatouille? one. Ratatouille? Like, I, I don't know. Like the, this, the kitten who makes pies. I, it's like really strange. Go to your local bookstore and investigate. <laughs> and the and no, the, take your pet. Take to your yeah. pet to investigate. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, the, so okay. So the the is it a world in which dogs are detectives, or it's a normal dog who then becomes a detective? I hate to break it to you, but I've yet to read one of these. Okay. Okay. But it, I'll consider it a homework assignment, and I'll get back to you. Please, if you're a fan, write in your favorite book about a pet solving a mystery. Please. Leave it as a review. Yeah. If you've ever read a book like that, just leave an in-depth review. <laughs> on our page. Stars on our page, and yeah. we will read it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, give us a rating, review, subscribe, everywhere you get your podcasts. And then, it, it does. honestly, it's just the number of reviews that matter. Yeah, I don't so care do, what the content yeah. is if you as long as you hit five stars you can write anything yeah you can give book recommendations <laughs> why not oh that would be helpful um and if you want to shout out to sugar we appreciate that see how her bleeding asshole is <laughs> i would not write a how is sugar's bleeding asshole five stars i would welcome it <laughs> Thank you so much to Sarah Goodman for being our guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Melissa D. Motz. Our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. I hope she's not bleeding out of her asshole later. (laughs) Is it bad that she's bleeding out of her asshole? (laughs) Oh my god! Hi, I'm Arielle Zwim-Ross. I'm the host of Reset, a new podcast that explores the unexpected ways technology impacts our lives. I was the first climate change correspondent on American nightly TV news. And before that, I was a science reporter for The Verge. And I learned that tech isn't just your smartphone or laptop. It's the way we develop new medicines. It's how we compose music. It's our connection to friends and strangers. Tech is changing every day, and when I see those changes, I see worlds I can't wait to dive into. These days, every story is a tech story, and we're going to show you why. Follow Reset on the Stitcher app right now to be the first to hear new episodes every week.